Welcome to Digging In with Missouri Farm Bureau. I'm Eric Bold, Director of Public Affairs. Today we are joined by Scott Baker, who is the State Director of Feeding Missouri. Scott, thanks for joining us on the program today. Eric, great to be here. Thank you. Well, we are um, longtime collaborators here at Farm Bureau with Feeding Missouri, but I think that there's always people out there that have uh, don't have a full picture of what you do. So why don't we just start off at the beginning there, everybody? telling us about Feeding Missouri and what is what is it that you all do on a daily basis to help sure. people across the state? Sure. Feeding Missouri represents the six regional food banks that covers the entire state and over a thousand agencies that are located in every county uh, in Missouri. So if you think a lot of times people use the terms interchangeably, but really, if you think when it comes to a food bank, think large warehouse operation with, you know, forklifts and, and semi trucks and each food bank moving millions of pounds of food each year. And then those are what really supplies the local pantries, which we're all familiar with, you know, whether they're at the local community center or local church or that sort of thing. So six large regional food banks, that's sort of six regions in Missouri that we break into. And then uh, over a thousand agencies, and those are all your pantries and kitchens and, and senior centers and things like that located in every county in the state. Great, and then Feeding Missouri uh, is also, I guess, somehow connected with Feeding America, is that correct? Yeah, you know, we all are, all of our food banks uh, are all uh, affiliates of, of Feeding America. They don't have any kind of a management role, that sort of thing, but certainly, uh, you know, it's part, we're all part of the Feeding America network, which helps with some of our resourcing and things like that. But yes, we're all uh, uh, affiliates are associated with Feeding America. Wonderful. Well, we've really enjoyed working with you on the Drive to Feed Kids over the past few years and um, the uh, Home Run for Hunger that our insurance companies do every year. It's been a great partnership, um, but something that we, um, I think a lot of people start to think about around this time of year is uh, how food banks may be uh, able to help people who aren't able to have a Thanksgiving meal uh, on their table and uh, maybe have uh, struggles around Christmas time and around the holidays. So what are some of the things that you guys uh, see as, you know, unique issues as we get in towards winter time and the end of the year here? You know, it is, uh, there continues to be a lot of demand um, uh, for emergency food services, things of that nature. Uh, you know, the pandemic still has lingering effects. Uh, we, we see demand uh, about 10 to 25%, depending on the area uh, uh, above what we saw pre-pandemic. And so that there, so there are still a lot of people um, who, who have need out there. And certainly, as you mentioned, this time of the year, you know, people uh, become a little bit more aware of, of, you know, of whether they're on the giving side of how thankful they are and they want to help out others, but certainly on the need side, uh, you know, just trying to, if we can supply just some sort of a basic, uh, you know, holiday meal or something like that, if we can, um, take this issue or help with this issue during the holiday season and that being you know hunger and, and all the different things that come with that if that's something that we can help out with uh certainly we like to do that but holiday meals certainly are, are something that you know everybody at least should have access to if, if possible because we all we all take it for granted for sure those of us who are, who are in, in fine condition financially uh, and, and so if we can help with that, uh, um, we certainly want to do that. And there are a lot of people who agree. And, and we really do see um, this sort of being top of mind this time of year. Yeah, well, are there any like any particular programs, special programs for the holiday season that um, the food banks do or 
you know, I know that there's some places, maybe this is more pantries and kitchens that have uh, special programs to both bring food in and also to give food out. But what do you guys do around this time of the year that's maybe different than other times? You know, you'll see um, a common one you'll see throughout the state of the food banks hoping, uh, hosting some sort of uh, like a holiday meat uh, campaign. You know, we all associate turkey with Thanksgiving. And I don't know about your family, Eric, but would we, you know, ham was my family for Christmas. And so, uh, you know, there'll be a lot of holiday meats, um, that sort of thing. Uh, so you'll see that uh, you, you might, because it is top of mind for a lot of people, you might see some more higher, higher profile food drives, can drives, things of that nature. Cause you know, we, we do take advantage of it. You know, to be honest, this time of year, it really is. It, it's, it's interesting when you consider um, the food and the money that comes into the food banks throughout the year um, over nearly half of it, in some cases come into these last two months of the year. Wow. Um, so it really is. I mean, and that's great and that's fantastic. Um, and we're very, very grateful for it, but uh, since it is, you know, high, high uh, top of mind, high awareness uh, time of year, we try to take advantage of that. And so you will see, you know, some more partnerships with grocery stores and things of that nature uh, this time of year when you're, when you're out and about. So uh, along those lines, though, when you've got that big of a um, swell of uh, influx of things coming in, both money and supplies, um, have, have you all found problems with the supply chain or the, I guess the labor shortages that a lot of other industries oh, yeah. are seeing? Are you seeing that on even in volunteers or is, is it more just on the paid employees or what are you seeing? The answer is yes. Um, it just, just as bad as everyone else, if not worse, uh, on, on the paid staffing side, certainly, um, food banks, and I'm sure all nonprofits are facing the same challenges that, that everyone else is, you know, just, uh, trying to keep up with wages. You know, if, if you think about a food bank operation right now, not only do you have to try to keep up with the increasing wages, uh, that, that people are finding in the marketplace, but the skyrocketing costs of food. And acquiring the food, that's something else that the food banks have to deal with right now. You mentioned transportation, all of these things that, you know, all of us deal with every day. Um, it's certainly, you know, it's all coming together to put a real crunch on, on the food banks. Uh, volunteers, you mentioned them. You know, it's been interesting. The pandemic has certainly impacted uh, volunteers. Um, you know, you still have understandably you have you know folks some folks who are hesitant to to get out into a group setting like that like we, we saw before um you know in some areas of the state there are still some some limits on how many people can gather and that kind of thing in the larger cities we see that um so so yes uh, both on the paid side and the volunteer side we, we have some catching up to do and we're so reliant on volunteers both at the food bank level and the pantry level uh, that, you know, it will, you, you'll see a lot more of that this, this time of year as well, just trying to get the word out and say, hey, if you want to, you know, as a holiday event for your workplace, that sort of thing, we could sure love to have you come down and volunteer, that sort of thing. So that's, the, yes, the need is very, very high for that this time of year. Yeah, it, it's like a perfect storm. It, everything all hitting mm -hmm. you at the same time from every different angle. Yeah, you know, if you if you consider um, just talk to a food bank the other day, and they were talking about how a, a truckload of product that they were trying to acquire cost three times now what it did pre-pandemic. Wow. And so, and so when you consider that these food banks acquire and distribute millions and millions of pounds of food per year, you can imagine the cost associated with that. 
you know, and then so they have to they have to, uh, uh, you know, come up with money for that. They have to come up with money for the, the staffing and the transportation challenges. You know, you mentioned the supply chain. Uh, you know, that's that's something that we continue to still, you know, and, and people have read about it in the news and people are aware of it. But, uh, you know, it's not uncommon for us to have loads of food uh, delayed, canceled. Um, you know, we, we try to forecast, you know, X number of weeks out and that can be pushed back. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's something that uh, just because you're a nonprofit, uh, you're not immune from having to deal with these challenges. Yeah, yeah, and we uh, we've actually just written a little bit recently about the challenges that schools are seeing just getting food delivered to them for their kids, um, and number one, finding the food to buy in the first place, but then number two, the cost of it, and then number three, the transportation of getting it from the warehouse to the uh, school. And I'm sure those are a lot of the same things that you all are dealing with, right? Oh, yeah. And, you know, it, it won't surprise you at all to know that the, the number one challenge we have in terms of a staffing uh, issue right now is food banks employ a lot of tr truck drivers, right? Sure. And you know, we know there's what a shortage there are of truck drivers right now. Well, that's certainly the case for food banks. You know, we have to send trucks all over the place, both regionally and nationally to, to pick up this the food. And so... Uh, it's, you know, when you're a nonprofit, you can't always offer the best compensation package. That's just, you know, and, and that's just reality. And so, yeah, trying to uh, meet some of these challenges that everybody else is, it's certainly right here at the, at the food banks as well. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned um, this a little bit, but uh, obviously food banks don't get all of their uh, product just through donations. You know, it's not just canned drives. A lot of it, I think, is bulk purchases that uh, you you take monetary donations and then uh, purchase that. But could you get into that a little bit? Break down where does the food out of food bank come from sure. typically, and and maybe has that been shifting this year as these problems we just talked about have been um, popping their heads up? Yep, absolutely. It has been changing a lot. Not only the last couple of years, but really even the last five to ten years. When food banks first started 30, 40, 50 years ago, we were very reliant on donated product and um, you know, uh, donations from companies that maybe had production overruns or they had seconds and dented cans and things like that. Well, as those companies have become a lot better at forecasting their production, there are a lot less over fewer overruns, you know, the, the imperfections are fewer and fewer. And then there are markets even for those now. Uh, so yes, food banks have had to transition over the last 10 years to much more purchase product, um, uh, to really, you know, to meet the demand that it's out there. So that's why you'll hear a lot of times food banks talk about, um, certainly food donations are wonderful, but the impact that we can make with monetary donations is significant. I mean, we can, in, in, in a lot of cases, acquire up to 10 meals for every dollar that you give, just based upon our modeling of, of you know, bulk purchasing and things of that nature. So yeah, it really ha has changed where it was. We were um, in the beginning, almost wholly reliant upon donated product that that is a paradigm that's shifting rapidly and we're having to rely more and more on on purchase goods yeah well and how has this run up in prices you mentioned poultry not poultry but uh, protein um prices especially going up like uh, hams and turkeys mm -hmm. and um uh, beef all seem to be going through the roof in the inflationary realm how has that really been impacting your the operations on on the ground well, you know, protein specifically is, you know, a lot of people ask what do the food banks need? 
Um, and, and that answer in somewhat can vary throughout the year, just depending upon, you know, uh, donations sort of ebb and flow, uh, you know, produce donations, things of that sort of, as you might imagine, they increase during the harvest time, things like that. But one constant throughout the year is protein. Uh, it's in high demand and it's hard to acquire and it's, it's not inexpensive in, in many cases. And so that really is, um, that really is the, the one answer that we can consistently give no matter what part of the state you're in, uh, no matter what time of year it is, uh, that, that is, that is one of our top priorities. And that's one of the things Feeding Missouri tries to focus on. And you talked about some of the partnerships we've had with Missouri Farm Bureaus and other, you know, commodity groups and some of the other friends in agriculture. That's really one of the areas that we've tried to tackle is trying to increase that supply of protein because it is, uh, in many cases, more costly to acquire and it's in, it's, it's a constant need. Yeah. Well, um, why don't we talk a little bit about that need as well? You, as the uh, state director for Peking, Missouri, also have been asked by Governor Parson to serve as the chairman of his task force on food insecurity. Uh, tell us a little about that task force and what, what the mission is there. And, you know, what, what's the need? What's the problem that mm -hmm. you're trying to address? Well, you know, if you if first, if let's answer the problem or sort of just set the stage for what food insecurity looks like in Missouri, because on the surface, it's very counterintuitive. You know, our our number one industry is agriculture, and we do an excellent job at feeding the world, right? So why can't we feed our neighbors? It doesn't make sense. But that's the reality. You know, when you look at our food insecurity numbers, um, we are consistently above the national the national average. Um, when you look at very low food security, which is a subcategory, which is these are folks who are going without food uh, each day, you know, somebody's skipping a meal, there's just not enough food in the household for today. Again, our rate um, is always above the national average, it's above most of our connecting uh, neighboring states. Um, and so it's been a persistent problem. And it's really hard to pinpoint why that's the case. Uh, so that's that's sort of the one of the goals of this task force that has been put together. It's under the the umbrella of Department of Agriculture, and really, uh, there's a there's wide representation from. Um, we've got ag groups, we've got elected officials, we've got uh, grocery representation, we've got the nonprofit folks like myself. Um, just uh, so academia is represented, you know, we're trying to bring a lot of different perspectives perspectives together. To look at things like why is food insecurity persistently high in Missouri? You know, what, what are some of the root causes of this? And then look at some of the you know issues that are kind of related, whether you're talking about food deserts or whether you're talking about access. You know, one of the things we might want to touch on is, is, you know, a lot of times when people think about people who might be struggling with hunger, they might maybe think about maybe urban areas, you know, inner city, that sort of thing. I certainly did. Before I came into this world, I used to think, okay, you know, I can see that in some of the more harder hit areas of the, the urban centers and things like that. The fact of the matter is food insecurity is at least as bad of a challenge in rural Missouri uh, as it is in the cities, if not worse. Right. Because yeah. if you look at some of the, the, the rates of food insecurity, the counties with the highest rates are all rural counties, mm -hmm. by and large, and, and sometimes by a wide margin. And then when you add to that the uh, the accessibility issues, uh, you know, like if, if you need to access a food pantry in downtown St. Louis, you might find one within a mile or so. But if you're in a rural county, it could be 10, 15, 20 miles. And unless you have reliable transportation, that's a real challenge. 
So right. this this task force is put together to, to look at a, a broad range of issues over the next three years, um, just sort of to tackle why, why do we have this and what can we do? Um, you know, what I personally believe in just in my role with this, uh, I've always believed that a lot of the answers to Missouri's food insecurity problem can be found here in the state. I mean, you know, we talked earlier about protein. What do our producers, what are they really good at? Protein production, right? right. We're, we're, we're fantastic at that. I really truly believe in the food banks, food banks believe that, you know, if we put a lot of focus and effort into connecting the dots here in the state of the resources that we have here in Missouri, that can go a long way in addressing and solving the problem. So me personally, just speaking for myself, that's one of the things I hope we as a task force uh, really examine and to do it, you know, to, to, to connect the dots and the resources with producers and those in need, but to also do it in a mutually beneficial way, right? Mm-hmm. Do it in a way that, that certainly benefits the producers. Um, you know, we at the food banks, we always are making it clear, we're not just coming with a handout. We want to try to find a way that's mutually beneficial for our farmers, our producers, but also, of course, those that we serve and the, the people who find themselves in need of, of assistance at a food pantry. Oh, sure. And as, as with many nonprofits, I think food banks are in that boat of the true, uh, true goal is to put yourself out of business. Yeah. If, you, if there were no need for a food bank, we, that means we would have been ultimately successful. And that's fantastic. But I think we, we definitely are, unfortunately, not near that goal yet. Um, it's going to be a long time to get there, but hopefully we can make some progress. Um, and you, you did mention that urban-rural breakdown. Um, that's something that we've talked about a lot, especially with the Drive to Feed Kids, which we've um, been a big part of over the past few years with the uh, Missouri State, at the Missouri State Fair culmination, culminating there, working through Missouri Farmers Care. And another part of that that's connected to uh, the urban-rural breakdown is the, um, the, the number of children that are food insecure. And I've been really shocked at how much higher that ratio is for people who are living in rural areas, for kids growing up in a rural area, seem to have more food insecurity than urban areas. Is that still true? Yep. Just as an illustration, statewide, our average is about one in seven kids come from a household that um, deal with food insecurity. But if you look at some of our rural counties, that number is closer to one in three. Um, one in three kids come from a household where they're unsure where their next meal's coming from. You know, mm-hmm. it might be a case. Um, I mean, let's let's be real about what we're talking about here. You know, it might be a case to where um, they have enough food in the house for today, but the family has no idea how they're going to pay for groceries next week. Yeah. Um, but it can also be a situation like we talked about before, where there's not enough in the house today. And so, and when you think about, think about a kid, if you're a kid in that situation, um, it goes far beyond a a situation of just a rumbling belly, right? The annoyance of that. I mean, it it impacts your ability to learn at school. It impacts the quality of sleep that you get. It impacts all these different things. Um, Just being a kid and and just, you know, developing the way that we hope you would, um, it it really does have a, a, a really a domino effect on many, many different things that these kids our face think i mean think of the stress that you might find mom or dad in you know when 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 yeah. they have a hard time um, feeding their family you know they're under stress kids pick up on that and it's going to impact you know everything that they're trying to do and that we want them to do as a child learning at school and that sort of thing 
uh, the, the ramifications are significant and, and, and long. Well, and you've mentioned this a few times with the um, food insecurity being, uh, I guess, kind of the, the measuring stick or the, the term we talk about. Is there a formal definition to what that means? What, what is it? What, what does it mean to be food insecure? You know, there is a formal definition and, and the government, you know, the, the, the federal government has a definition. I, I really break it down to layman's terms this way. I, this is sort of the Scott Baker paraphrasing of what the formal definition <laughs> is. You've got food insecurity overall, and that is kind of what I described. There's uncertainty of how, where you're going to uh, access food over the midterm. And, and I would uh, bring you back to the illustration of, okay, there's enough food in the house for today but we really don't know where we're going to get groceries next week because we've got, you know, utility bills are higher. We've got uh, uh, our medical bill due, you know, all these different things, you know, we're uncertainty on, on our job, whatever. So that's sort of a midterm uncertainty, but then within the realm of food insecurity, there's a category called very low food security. And that is the situation where there is not enough food in the house for today. Someone in the household is going without today. And, you know, that's about 5% of Missourians find themselves in that category. Wow. So when you consider the, the overall food insecurity, we're talking about one, about one in eight Missourians, but that, that most dire uh, category of not enough food today, that's a little over 5%. And that's above the national average. It's above most of our neighboring states. And that's just for whatever reason, consistently been the case here in Missouri, but those are sort of the, yeah, you're right. You know, uh, food insecurity is sort of the fancy bureaucratic term for hunger. Uh, <laughs> right. But but yeah, within that, there's this this even worse category that um, really does impact more people than you might imagine. Yeah, well, and I think that also the, the more I've gotten used to the term, the more I actually kind of see the point of the insecurity term, too, because, you know, I, you look around and there are not a lot of Americans dying of starvation, literally, right. you know, like famine. Right. But like you were saying, if you're always worried about uh, where, how you're going to buy next week's groceries, it's hard to, uh, to reach to, up to that next level in your life, um, maybe, whether that be looking for a better job or improving your education or whatnot. If you're so um, stressed and anxiety and overwhelmed by even where next week's meals are going to come from, mm -hmm. it's pretty hard to get ahead. And it, it is a true sense of insecurity. I think that does make sense as a term. Yeah. And, and when you think about people who are in that situation, let's say, let's say you have a family of four and you have a hundred dollars to feed your family next week. You know, I, I've, I've, after I've paid my utility bills and my doctor bills and everything else, let's just say I have a hundred dollars. I'm going to go in the grocery store and I've got a hundred dollars to feed a family of four. That's not a lot of money for a family of four. Mm -hmm. um, what are you going to do? You're going to buy the cheapest calories you can find, right? Right. You're not going to go in and buy $100 worth of meat and produce because that's not going to last you till the whole week. So you're going to find, you know, you're going to buy a lot of processed foods and a lot of, you know, carbs and things of that nature. And so the point is, then that leads into a lot of health challenges, which is, you know, you've got more doctor bills and more, more health problems that, that all of us pay for. Um, and so, yes, this, so a lot of different ramifications, once again, come into that term insecurity. Yeah, definitely. Well, I know that there are a lot of people listening who uh, already donate to their local food bank or pantry and um, probably many who actually volunteer. But if um, there are people who want to do more or want to get started, where would you suggest what's the best thing they can do to get involved in 
and start making a difference. You know, I would, uh, you could start with our website, feedingmissouri.org, and then you could, at our website, you can see the different food bank regions, the six food bank regions that I referenced earlier. So you could find which food bank is in your area, but then also we have an interactive tool where you can enter your address and find what uh, pantries and agencies are near you. And then, you know, uh, if you're wanting to make a difference, um, certainly money, uh, that, that will surprise no one. Again, you know, in, in many cases, uh, food banks can provide multiple meals for just a dollar. And that's not something you and I could do at a grocery store on our own. Uh, but through the models that the food banks have and that sort of thing, that's really the, the best impact. But then, you know, obviously volunteering, I mentioned how reliant we are on, on helping pack boxes and backpacks and things of that nature. Uh, but then also just an acknowledgement of the problem and understanding, you know what it is here. And, and it may be more prevalent in my neighborhood than I even realized. That can go a long way and making a difference. Yes. So there's lots of different ways to make that impact. Well, and, and going back to something we talked about early on, I think that um, the, having that big rush of uh, attention around the holidays, that's a like you kind of alluded to, it's a blessing and a curse. Um, I think that uh, from some previous conversations I've had, maybe at the St. Louis Food Bank, I think that there's uh, opportunities, at least through them and maybe some others, to make recurring donations. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're given say five bucks a month or something that most you know middle-class Americans can easily afford. Um, but then that helps level out that curve throughout the yep. year and, and provide some more of a floor and stability through those leaner months. Yes. Um, do, do, do all of them have those opportunities yep. uh, available now? Yeah, every, that's certainly something that can be set up recurring donations, uh, like you said, because uh, you know, it's, it's not anything you'll ever hear us complain about that we get such an influx this time of year, but the challenge is helping people understand that it's, it's a problem in February and it's a problem in May and it's a problem in August, you know? And so, uh, yeah, recurring donations and things like that will make a significant impact more than, than you might even realize. Yeah. And it, you know, I always try to think of this on my, my own budget where you think, oh man, a $50 donation in December, that sounds like a lot of money, but I'd actually be given more if I gave five bucks every month and I would feel it less, but I'd yeah. be giving more. That's true. Um, so yep. actually can really uh, can make a bigger difference if you just take the time to sign up sometimes. Mm -hmm. So um, that's, that's a great option that you're, you're giving people. Uh, anything else we ought to cover before we, um, before we go today? No, I just very appreciative, especially, um, you know, with, with a lot of our ag partners here in the state of Missouri, uh, I tell my my counterparts and folks across the nation that uh, Missouri is really setting the bar uh, when it comes to the relationship between our agriculture partners and those of us in the, the service sector and the nonprofit service sector. You know, the Missouri ag producers are really walking the walk uh, when it comes to helping out folks. Uh, and we've really seen an impact of that even, you know, these last three or four years. And we're really excited about the potential moving forward, too. Uh, I think it's a great, great place for ag to put its emphasis on, um, on charities since, you know, it's like, uh, where would you naturally think that uh, we ought to be putting our focus? Well, food seems to be obviously number one. So it's great that we've been able to make the partnerships we have already and look forward to doing more things with you in the future. Well, I'm thrilled to, to talk with you and, and, and just a big thank you to all, all the folks out there, farmers and producers that are they're putting the work, you know, um, again, I, I, you, when you think about the challenges in some of these rural communities in Missouri, I think one of the reasons that ag partners have stepped up is because they see it in their own neighborhood. They see it in their own counties. 
Um, you know, we hear schools from, we hear stories from like FFA students and things like that, where they see it and the, the kid in the desk desk next to them. So, um, the, the ag partners have really stepped up and it's been really great to see it. So we're very grateful. Well, all right. I appreciate you taking the time, Scott Baker from Feeding Missouri. Thank you for talking with us and I uh, hope that we'll be able to get some more support directed towards the people of Missouri uh, because of our conversation. Thanks again. Thank you, Eric.